0: Hi everyone. Welcome to Two Bald Guys Talking Safety. I'm Langdon DeMint. And I'm Julian Taylor. And welcome to our podcast.
1: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Two Bald Guys Talking Safety. And it's actually two bald guys talking safety and one guy with rather a lot of hair actually. Um, And we'll we'll introduce him in a moment. First of all, Langdon, do you want to
0: say hello? Hello, everyone. Hope you're doing well looking forward to our conversation today. How are you Jules? I'm good. I'm all good.
1: Um we're joined t- today by a guest. Um I met this chap ooh, a while ago now, a few months ago, and we were talking together on a panel uh, at a safety show in Manchester. And we just seemed to click. We got on pretty well. We were we we both like talking about sort of maybe some more contentious issues around safety and how we could do things differently and I thought he'd be a good candidate to to drag kicking and screaming onto our podcast so so Phil Roberts welcome to the podcast um do you want to introduce yourself and give us a bit a bit about your
2: background yeah hi both thank you for having me yeah yeah we met in Manchester and I think you know definitely we had a really great time talking about lots of different issues um so yeah, um a bit about me. So I'm the current head of safety for Freightliner. Uh for people that don't know, it's the UK's sort of largest um intermodal logistics company um covering uh rail transport of containers and things like that all across the, the country. Um previously I've done whew, um about ten years in safety now. I've I've done bits in manufacturing, um galvanizing um, gas infrastructure so you know I've got quite a bit of experience in dealing in safety with some really high risk and interesting and complex complex sites so yeah I'm really excited to talk to you both. Cool. I'm going to start Phil
1: by I'm, I'm going to ask you a question we ask everybody because people don't generally grow up thinking I want to get into safety um, they, they tend to fall into it um, so so what was your journey Phil to to get you into safety into where you are Uh, today. Absolutely
2: so again I wasn't the little I wasn't the person that you had the little safety inspector on a railway track trying to uh, you know pretend to be that person so yeah um, you know did a few jobs when I was younger I was in catering and shop work um, found out I was going to become a dad and decided you need to go and find a career Um, at that point I went and started doing an engineering course and really wanted to be an engineer, a tool setter, or, you know, a gas engineer, something like that. And during uh, the during the course, a lecturer came up to me and said, I think you'd have a really good opportunity. There's a, an apprenticeship, a, 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 a sort of a junior role here. Um, and it was four little letters that I'd never heard before in QHSE, And I just thought, oh, give it a go. We'll see how it happens. And yeah, that, that lecturer was the one that sort of gave me that in, into the world of quality health, safety and environment. And as I started in that, in that company, just fell in love with health and safety. You know, it's such an amazing career. It's got such diversity of thought in it that I just think, you know, it's not given the credit that I think it's not the sexiest of professions, unfortunately still. Um, But yeah, there's just so much amazing stuff that you can be a part of in it. Um, that I, I fell in love virtually instantly with it. So a couple of things spring to
1: mind there, Phil. First of all, I, I don't know what they call them in, in, in the US Langdon. Is it G.I. Joe or we call them the action man over here. So the the kind of the boys' dolls that you would play with as a kid. Um and I'm just thinking, well, yeah, you never saw a safety officer, did you? You had the parachutist and the marine and but George, you're telling your age
0: a little bit. Because when I was I little, am. they were little. They went from the cool big ones to a little bit smaller. But you are right. I think about my old trains and stuff. I don't ever recall having a safety guy either. No. And the
1: other thing is, Phil, did you tell your missus that you'd fallen in love with, with something uh,
2: else? No. As well? You know what? If she listens to this podcast, I might have to have a, a, have a, a good story on the back of that. Right. Frank, Frank, yeah. Frank conversation, I, she's my first yeah. love. Yeah. but. Yeah. If if you don't hear from me again. Good. She's obviously not that happy with it.
0: I'm just honored on a quick side note that we have a Phil Philip who has two Ls like myself. Seems to be the rarity here. So There's only there's only one L in Langdon. Philip is my first name. How <laughs> dare you? <laughs> I got three Ls total. There you go. So so phil what
1: what what is it that you're passionate about? I mean we can hear it when we're talking to you, but what is it that you're passionate about when we're talking about safety
2: oh, I think that's it's a it's a really broad thing i think for me in terms of safety, everything just seems that we're just scraping the surface of what truly amazing safety can be um we've done. Excellent, excellently as a profession of around compliance and around really stepping it up and working with legislation and, you know, bringing accidents to a, a level that, you know, 34 years ago, we probably didn't even think this could be achieved. But I think what, what gets me out of bed in the morning sort of thing, working in safety is that the next day, we, we it just feels we're so close to achieving something that has never been done before there's new people there's new psychologists that are now writing books around safety there is more and more literature there's more and more challenge around the industry and i think for me to be a part of that and to be you know hopefully to be able to give something to that industry that you know potentially makes them think slightly differently i think that's just amazing and that's probably the the broader piece in terms of the day to day how you operate in safety I think just changing one person's mind, you know, changing that operator's mind to just, not just to stop and think, but to come up with something that is so much better, that's like so much more driven in a different way that I would never think of in a safety profession. Seeing that CEO or that director have that one conversation that just unlocks something else in in another person, you know, that's that for me is where the the safety profession can really start to evolve and develop. You know, it, we're, we're seen as leaders now, we're seen as people that aren't just those people with the clipboard, you know, we're part of the conversation. And that for me is just one of the most exciting things that we can be, you know, how do we turn safety from compliance into something that can be a true catalyst of change um, within business and industry?
1: I mean, you touched on the clipboard there. We always like to talk about the clipboard, um, but but it's it's how do you change that perception of safety, isn't it? Which and and I think I mean we, we've got a podcast, but there are, it's great to see people like James McPherson and and, and Simon Jones and Karen Hewitt and um, Diane Chadwick-Jones, but people who are sort of actively out there making a noise about safety now and doing it in a slightly different way, and and like you trying to challenge the norms. Um, So you talked about leadership there. What what are your thoughts in terms of how do we change the leadership behaviours?
2: I think we have to recognise fundamentally the leadership behaviours. People want to be safe. You know, you know. I've never I've never met a director, a CEO, or someone that is a traditional leader and gone. I really want to see people get hurt. You know, it's just not in our in our makeup. We we care for people. That's genuinely how we do it. Even people that are highly successful and, you know, are driven and have got this point. Well, they've done it through people most of the time and they've still got that that genuine care. And I think actually recognise that in safety. You know, there's so many times where we think of people as being a blocker or, or not having the same passion for safety as we do. Well, yeah, they may not have as much passion for the law or compliance, but for their people, I doubt there's many people out there that don't share that. So in terms of when it comes to, you know, how do you just change that perception? Well, get rid of the clipboard. You know, it, it sounds it sounds really simple, but to have these conversations, but have these conversations, but try and remember your own biases. Try and remember that you're not talking from a position of safety because safety doesn't really exist. You know, even though that, that head of safety person, that safety advisor, safety director, they're great titles. They've got great abilities of change and and respecting organizations. Safety is a bit of an abstract concept. What they're doing is managing the outputs of lots of different people and indirectly managing it. That's what makes it so difficult. We can't just go in and tell people you have to do something like this because they'll most definitely go the other way. So how do you build your own influence? How do you build your own repertoire with these different people and really start to make them not think like you but just understand they're already thinking in this way and then you just sort of put the pieces together of the of the jigsaw and that's for me that's how you become the enabler
0: well and i think that's spot on because if you think about it and it's the same in the states as the uk we we what 30 years ago we were still seeing pretty drastic improvements a reduction of incident rates things like that even even fatalities and we kept going down well then realistically in the last 10 15 years we've kind of we've plateaued you see little improvements here and there i mean you know throw throw the c word we don't like to talk about the c word couple of years there. COVID just because that kind of, yeah, it's, yeah, sorry. It's skewed. I mean, realistically it, it's skewed a lot of numbers. So that's, that's challenging to talk about from an infectious disease standpoint and, you know, contraction and all that, but you saw an improvement, but then the last few years, we, we haven't seen those same improvements and sometimes fatalities go up. They, I mean, they fluctuate, but I'm, I'm intrigued to see since you've come on, um, because we're roughly been doing health and safety about the same, I think I might have a couple more years on you, but roughly the same amount of time from your experience where you've seen, what have been some of the changes? Have you seen many organizational changes in where you've worked and who you've worked with? Do you think that maybe that's an area that it's more now going towards the human performance or the employee standpoint? Are you seeing it? Because we talk all the time it it seems like what you know the the Todd Conklins and Sidney Deckers who've kind of been pushing so much, even that now you you really think about it that's been going on for what six maybe six seven yeah eight years, and it's still trying to figure out how can we maximize that so i'm curious i'm curious on on your thoughts in that realm from what you've seen
2: yeah, I think like I said I mean. 10 years, it, it sounds like a long time, but I mean, the the whole safety conversation has been around for about 40, 50 years from that compliance piece coming through. And then, you know, probably, like you say, the Sydney Deckers, things like that, early early 2000s, there was these, the conversation was starting to shift. There's these conversations, you know, around safety one, safety two, all, all these conversations are happening. I think what you can start to see now with that, the, I talk about that sort of that next iteration of safety, that next evolution is that we're actually starting to understand the, not the faults of what's come before, because actually, like I say, it was very successful. It's brilliant in terms of what it achieved, but actually just that we can do things differently. And, you know, you you mentioned um, the the different speakers, Clive Lloyd, James McPherson, all that, They're, they're starting to have these, conversations i think podcasts are really starting to help get that message out but i think what what i can really see is that there's a a real focus now on actually how do we just how do we communicate about safety um that's been the biggest shift that i can kind of see and we talk about just cultures trust cultures removal of blame cultures that that seems to have seems to be embedding everywhere so people. I guess, theoretically, agree with this, what we're starting to see is people now, I guess, have a bit of a trial and test and feel really uncomfortable with it. Because the most comfortable thing for us all to do, someone has an incident, if there's an accident, is to go, they made a the mistake. Even for ourselves, if you know, we bump into a chair or something, it's easy to just go, oh, I've been really silly, instead of thinking of, Huh, well could I redesign could I move that so it doesn't happen again it just makes my workload so much easier if I can just go it was my fault or it was their fault and actually I feel like I've done something and that people know that theoretically that is still very difficult to get in when you are sitting in incident review panels or when you're having conversations with people about an investigation and you go okay but you know, even just using something as simple as the five whys. Why did that happen? Why do you feel like that? I mean, that question is so powerful of why do you feel that particular way? But it opens up such a big conversation. And we need to really get, we need to sort of lean into that sort of discomfort with those conversations. Because Oh, it's one of those things, isn't it? The more you do it, the more you get better at it, and things like this. And we'll make mistakes. You know, safety's made mistakes. We've got a history of it, but it's it's the only way to break the plateau that you talk about, London. You know, if we keep you know that, that definition of madness, we keep doing the same thing over and over again, and think we're going to get a different result, it won't happen. You know, the UK is the same. That between one hundred and twenty to one hundred and fifty fatalities a year, and we've got a great compliance piece that has really helped to reduce that but now how do we get it under three figures how do we get it down into that sort of below 50 you know and how do we get it to that you know we i have listened to some of your podcasts and they agree about the, the the zero harm but it's a goal it's still an ambition that you know i don't think there is no person that wants one but we have to just be very careful of of how it gets messaged and but yeah, for me, that's how you how you break that plateau. But definitely, that whole piece of um, you've got that big change is how we communicate about it, and that's opening the door for me that we've got a real chance to start to develop safety over the next few years. And you, you can see it on things like LinkedIn; it's already starting. Um, we just need to be a part of the conversation and build and build a safety culture and industry culture um in safety to allow this conversation to flourish further
1: it's it's really interesting i mean we've had a part of my my role here at this in this business is a massive part of it is coaching and and i coach coaches so i coach our managers to coach our people um and and i think we've been really successful in that and we we do some of our job roles they get so sort of maybe up to eight hours of coaching a week which is which is fantastic um and the reflection i have often when i'm thinking about that is actually some of the stuff we should be doing in safety is not that complicated you you talk you you use the other c word all the time though which is the one i love which is communication um and actually i think that's a trick we miss and i think I think one of the dangerous outcomes of COVID and we're sitting here on a, on a sort of remote call today with us all on cameras is that we've started almost going a bit backwards in terms of our communication in that we, we do too much stuff through these machines um, instead of just talking to people um, and actually talking to people is a really powerful tool. Um, so again, if we can change the approach and change the mentality from one of of sort of let's just do documentation and process and wait for things to happen and then we'll deal with it to actually let's talk to people it's radical i know and then and and let's let's really drive coaching that that to me is one of the things that could really take us to a different level in terms of making safety just part of our daily conversation And, and quickly i'll let you come in then phil i'm talking a lot but i think the other major major thing around that is that has whole business benefits, so I, I think about think about sort of actions and reactions and and regardless of what it is in a safety in, in, in a business, whether it's safety, whether it's business process, whatever it might be, if there is a negative reaction to things, that is going to define the actions of people in the future um, and, and if we can start to change that culture to one of coaching. We get different reactions when things to stop things going wrong in the first place. If, if that makes any sense whatsoever. Absolutely,
2: I, I, I agree. I think um, you, you talk coaching. I, I if when I talk with with people, I talk about studying. You know, you know, we talk about the safety practitioner and go. Well, what do they do in this abstract notion of safety? What is it that we're there to do as a practitioner? And. We try and do it. We, when it. When we talk in terms of compliance, you can do safety. You can quite easily achieve this stuff. You can get the documents. You can test it against the ISOs, against what Nibosh say, all these different things. We can be seen to be doing something. But actually, when we step away from compliance and we want to talk about influence, we want to talk about how do we study the effect the, of our actions and the reactions of the business to something. Well actually the practitioner for me becomes this one of a of a I guess like a, a science teacher is how I always come back to it of how do you study what is going on? How do you develop a hypothesis? How do you look at what's going to happen, that sort of planned method of work? And then actually what's the output? And the the crucial thing is, how does that affect your hypothesis? Does it when you look at the outcome, did it prove or disprove what you did originally and i think this is something in safety that we we kind of miss a lot of the time because we get absorbed into the the doing the actual method and then we miss the output and go well did that do what i expected it to do and we we think about failure but if it didn't do what i expected it to do is that failure well it's not in science because every output is its own success because you've either proved or disproved that hypothesis so even if, you're, even if you've disproved that hypothesis, it's still a result. It's still an output. And I think that, for me, changes the conversation around safety again. So it, it works with that coaching piece. It's that both of them are looking at how do you continually develop, you know, and, and we've seen the, the ISO clause of continually developing and, and things like this. But genuinely, how do you just develop what is going on, what is going on around you, if you think introducing this is going to have a benefit, actually define that benefit. And if you don't achieve it, okay, well, that's not a negative thing. That's just a thing that has happened. Now, do I want to accept it or do I want to go again with a new hypothesis? Uh, you know, it, it's just changing that dialogue around failure and around, you know, how do we do something? Because really, as a practitioner, we don't really do safety. It's our operations. It's our people at that the sort of the sharp end of of risk. They're the ones that are going to do it. They're the ones whose actions are going to actually affect the figures and things like this. Safety practitioner a lot of the time isn't going to be that person. And just thinking of it slightly differently, I'm, I'm is one of the things that I'm hoping that you know the the teams I I work with and you know. That's what I want them to take away from it. Every change isn't a failure, it's change.
0: No, I was going to say, you know, and I think that's a great point. And it is a challenge, right? We've seen you try to create more camaraderie, there you go, Jules. You try to, you create, that you try to create better relationships, communication, you know, whatever. But I think we get very stuck in the realization of compliance is a fallback. And no matter where you are, meaning what country, what uh, progression you are in the health and safety arena in the realm, a lot of people are going to fall back to that. So that's why we talk if we can get better about embedding safe operations, embedding it is just a, a routine part of of what you think about, because we're all notorious for it. You know, I've used the example when I was building the the playhouse out, out back, if I didn't have my glasses, it was hundred degrees some days when I'd get a chance to go out there. If I didn't have my safety glasses, just, all right, I got to get through this, you know, and you just, I think as humans, we know where we can deviate to acceptable levels. And I wonder if, you know, a friend of mine, he's big into that aspect of looking at critical elements and thinking about it from that. And if we don't really assess to think about, are we minimizing any adverse risk, meaning in our own jobs, not just as health and safety professionals when I go out, but as the frontline employees. And I think that's makes you wonder if we can, how do we, we're never going to achieve perfection because we're not, but I just wonder how do we continue that when, you know, you think about it, really, we haven't had any groundbreaking health and safety in a while. So now you have to start thinking, how can you embed it better? Which to me just goes perfectly with what you're saying, really.
2: Yeah. And I, I guess the question is, will we ever see health and safety be groundbreaking because, and actually should we be groundbreaking? You know, it's, it's going to be business innovation that is groundbreaking in safety. Someone will, you know, my, my, My dream when I was a child, I want that engineer is going to come up something so amazing, you know, and even in the world of like sustainability and things like this, that person who can extract carbon from the air and use it for something else. That's that's the person that's going to really revolutionize what we do. So what we need to build is the environment for that thought to flourish i don't want and in every business i work in and every conversation i have i don't want safety to be this thing that they can't prod and poke they have to be able to they have to be willing to challenge it they have to be willing to find a better way but not just in that thing of oh well you know you've got the safe system of work you know just tell me tell me what's going on tell me what's wrong well no because that's not how we work if you take an engineer or you take a frontline worker out of their world where they're thinking about the risk well that's probably the safest place for them because they go well no i know how to do that properly i can do all of this stuff they realize the risk when they're in that moment going ah how do i do this and how do we capture that better to to really understand it because that person could be the next idea that revolutionizes safety in that industry i don't you know, it, like I, we spoke about, you know, these great people talking about thought leadership and safety leadership and, you know, the, the, even what we're talking about now. It's not designed to be the thing that prevents that last thing. That it's, it's not going to come up with that sort of golden egg that we're all going to be able to show and go, this is amazing. There is someone, I genuinely believe, there is someone in every operation that has that eureka moment and that's where this building of that the, the the safety culture is is so paramount for me how do you empower those people to share and really challenge what they what they know what they do you know we don't want them doing anything dangerous and obviously we don't want them to get hurt but we have to have a culture of challenge and we have to have a culture of mistakes because that's where we learn the most from it. And that comes back to that piece of where, why are we looking at getting rid of blame? Because that just makes mistakes more human, which is what they are. So for me, that's that's really key. How do we get those people, those magnificent minds that work on that day-to-day operation to actually just be that next inspiration for us all because we all we we have the the catch line in safety it's them we've got to work with them and do that and then we give them a safe operating system that tells them exactly what to do how to do it and they go okay great because a manager's written it or um a supervisor's written it and they're going okay great well i'm not empowered to have that conversation now um, and, that's, and you don't need to think exactly because that that's what you do you know go back to the risk assessment go back to the safe operating procedure okay but that 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 person especially in complex high risk environments are they're, they're very highly skilled you know these frontline workers their minds are amazing for the task that they are doing so why not let them revolutionize those tasks And then actually it makes our job more complicated because there isn't that tangible thing we can measure, but it also makes it a bit more defined. Everything I am doing is to promote that thought process, to promote that conversation with people. Um, And again, maybe for myself, that's where I get that really great feeling seeing those people just start to raise things and go, yeah, this is, this is amazing. Um, and our job then comes to capture it and share it, and, and and really start to to make use of it across a wider audience.
0: No, I totally agree because that's right. I mean, that's the thing. How do we better embed it so that at least when everyone is doing their operation, it's in the back of their head? I mean, that's to me, that's kind of that silver that silver lining of you know we talk or joke about it. I get up five rungs on a whatever eight foot ladder i'm on grass i get up five rungs on an eight foot ladder and i'm on concrete with a bunch of wood underneath me how often you know how often do you think differently about stuff and that's i mean again it's hard to make everyone always consciously to doing that but that's how do you just ingrain it better? Because it's easy to say, I'm doing what OSHA is telling me to. I'm doing what HSE is telling me. I mean, that's, it's easy to always say, we we're, we're, we have the right, you know, we're, we're then our time-weighted average for a sampling or, you know, whatever it is. It's easy to always use that fallback. Whereas if we just really figure out ways of having people just consciously aware, I think you see differences. Which is a challenge. To be honest,
2: I agree. And when we when you talk about you know work at home and work work, the only difference is the legislation. And actually, I think we we get a little bit hung up on this thing with our employees that or you know anyone that well you operate the same as you do at home. Well, yeah, you do, but that's the problem because. When you're at home, I'm not thinking of the work at height legislation. When I've got to reach the corner above my landing, going, oh, this is a nightmare, uh, and things like this. And can I just get there? You know, it, you have that internal risk perception, which is completely different to everyone. And I know you, you coach and do this across all different things. Do you find that that comes up all the time? That we we have this comparison of people at home and in office when actually fundamentally it's really different just because of legislation I'll
0: you may go first jules I, from my perspective yes i have seen it but when i noticed it more so was during the c word during covid so i was i was at a previous organization and at the time i was going out doing or let's say pre-covid i was going out doing audits, inspections, um, g- general, not, not just from a, you know, process standpoint, but we talked a number of things going out every week. I'd be with, I think it was between five and 10 clients um, and then COVID hit and it was, you know, all hands on deck for COVID, for pandemic, for infectious disease. And then everything else fell to the wayside. Well, then once I kept saying, Hey, how are we doing with, you know, whatever xyz our incidents how are we doing with this and well people aren't coming in well you know you're only one lawsuit and and once that hits then precedent is set and then it it is what it is if i'm doing the job and i'm at home and uh so it was trying to embed that so from my perspective it 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 wasn't i mean it, it was easy to say well i've got my workstation set up you know i'm I'm able to take breaks, you know, some ergonomics, whatever. But then, do you have a cord here? Do you have a cord there? You have distractions in the background. Do you run over here, and then you have something else blocking? So, for me, it, it was it was lacking. Um, and then it was up to us to figure out how do we help implement better processes, better tools, so they can have it. And even when I came, so I came here during COVID, and I mean, we're very, as Joel said earlier, I mean, this is what, you know, people rely on now. And I think that we sometimes miss, maybe miss the step of putting the focus on ensuring that our workplace, wherever it is, was as suited, suited as it need to be. And everyone understood how to operate, you know, just because it, it doesn't matter if I'm, I mean, if I'm on a heavy industry going out, that's different, but say, if I'm at a desk, I'm at a desk anywhere. So how can I ensure that what I'm doing there is the same as here and then vice versa? Because there there's that direct correlation. So from my perspective, yeah, it's it's a challenge.
1: The, the, the thing I find most amusing is the number of safety people who go home and do utterly stupid things um, and, and then lose all credibility when they go back to the workplace with half a finger missing or something like that. And I think, I, think, I, don't, I don't know whether I, I don't know if I'm answering this in the right way, Phil, but I I don't think people are motivated by legislation and regulations. People are not motivated by that. Same as I'm a cynical Yorkshireman, and I've said this for years. Um, I'm not motivated by business priorities or business values. That's something somebody else has come up with and they're wanting me to adhere to. Um, So what we've got to do is we've got to make safety just something that people have a personal vested interest in and if they've got that, they're going to behave differently. And I think listening to you talk earlier, it was kind of, I was thinking about this was this whole thing of actually, if we involve people, just involve people, talk to people and involve them. And actually if they, if they feel involved, they'll feel engaged and they'll feel empowered. Um, and I think one of the things I, I was thinking about at the same time was safety can all be, can be a great enabler in a business to me. It can be a really great enabler to make people more vocal. So you talked earlier about people being able to challenge. Well, if we show them that in safety, we want you to challenge. So actually, if you think the risk assessment is ridiculous and it's going to hinder the way that you're doing your job and you can do it differently but safely, challenge us. Um, but once we've done that, it then hopefully creates a, a, a culture of, I can challenge I can challenge within the business, and that, 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 that could be. I'm going to come up with better ideas of how we can do things uh, in, in a more productive way or in a, in a, we can deliver better quality. So actually, I see safety as a real enabler if we empower people, but you've got to trust them, and you've got to let them let them go to a certain degree if that's going to happen. which is difficult
2: uh, absolutely, and you know how do you embed that, that innovation? within safety you know we don't we don't talk about we don't talk about other operations of business in the same way we talk about safety so you know you don't we we don't need a financial culture we don't need an operational culture we we, but we need a safety culture well no we just need a culture of 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 openness of challenge of one of debate it's not all about coming in, doing the job and going home, you know, for certain areas, for certain people, it will be that and we'll, okay, we'll, we need to find a way to get them and encourage them, but also understand they're not gonna be the most vocal in all aspects of things, but absolutely that that element of, if we want people thinking about safety more, probably we need to stop talking about it as a separate thing, You know, it's not this thing. You know, you do have financial departments, legal departments, but we don't talk about them in the same way as the safety team. Um, It's just more embedded. And how can we start to utilize safety in that way? You know, um, some examples that an example of how sort of tried to do that in the past is, you know, if we do audits. Do you have non-conformances? Do conformances How do you use your terminology in an audit or an inspection? So actually, the output isn't negative to people. And how do you really define that wording? And that can be specific for the business, because some people will see a non-conformance as not a terrible thing. Some will think it's the worst thing in the world. And... They just want to shut down everything. Some will go, oh, that's fine. It's a learning opportunity. But how do you find that wording that is specific for that business that that can really help that business understand themselves better and understand their vision, their values, their business values, how that then gets disseminated? And what you say, Julian, you personally don't get that buy-in from that. I don't myself, but I do have my own individual values that I hold, and that's what I bring into the business. Every person does that, and the business values are a great thing to try and align us to the vision, to the the objectives of the business. But each individual has a certain level of value and has a certain level of want and need that we just need to tap into in different ways. And having us as a separate thing that is spoken about that's very difficult to get people to tap into it when they're not a part of it in their head, in their mind. They're just not a part of safety.
1: It's it's this little isolated department that sits on the side, isn't it? And I think that's, that's one of the big things you've got to change. And um, we talk about safe operations and it was our CEO who came up with that, that phrase. And I really like it, which is, it's just part of what we do. It's just safe operations is what we do. Um, but, but it's having that, it's having a sort of different mentality towards it, isn't it? And I think the other thing that you kind of triggered there was it's always negative, isn't it? You talk about safety, it's always negative. So you've failed an audit, you've got non-conformances, it's about incidents, it's about near misses. Actually, how do we change the terminology and maybe change some of the metrics? So actually, the stuff we talk about is positive. So how has safety supported increased production uptime this month, yeah? um Let's talk about the safe, positive safety observations that have been this month, and promote the team that has has been the safest team this month. Yeah, but actually, we start to talk about positives rather than negatives; it, it changes that perception, doesn't it? Yeah, and
2: again, if you're if you're looking at the safest team, it's not about just highlighting them because the human nature of that team may not want to be highlighted, and they go, "I'll never be the safest team again" because I get put on the pedestal and. All that stuff, like understanding that individual's need. But if they are the safest team, why? What have you done? How are you holding out? And that, I actually, I'll share that to everyone to understand it. What are those little? How have you hack that behaviour? How have you made it so it's natural to you? I think that's that's a really key thing. Um, but yeah, it's it, it's difficult, you know. And when you talked about positive observations and things like this. In safety, we love to capture absolutely everything to then put into a trend analysis do we have that in everywhere else in the business where it's like oh we've done we've we've just won this contract we're going to put that on a board somewhere and we're going to pin it up and we're going to remember on july the 22nd of 2018 we won this contract and we did really really well you don't you don't come back to these things in other areas but but we do and you know, it's about how do you just get it in the moment? You know, winning a new contract is just embedded in the business as a fantastic thing. So how do you just get things embedded that change to safety is a fantastic thing or change to an operation that could improve safety is a fantastic opportunity that someone's gone. I don't need to put it on a dashboard. The business, those teams are just embedded to go what an amazing idea and that reinforcement will be so much better than any certificate or anything that the safety team can produce if the team themselves are driving that improvement in the moment and i think that's that for me is true embedding of safety how do how do their peers how do their people they are with day to day reinforce that and how do we let them know that that's what they've done because you know the the easiest thing is they make these little changes and no one on that 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 sort of frontline workout even realizes they've made the change that could increase that that variance within that operation have they made it safer have they made it more unsafe and you know it's just that if they if they can understand that or see that's a slight change they might just have a conversation with someone that stood next to them and they go that's a fantastic idea or oh that's not that that's going to prevent more accidents than Raising it onto the hazard reporting board and and doing this stuff, we want to capture stuff that we can make a difference to. But let's let them make the difference. Let's really let these frontline workers be the ones to to own and deliver our safety vision. Because genuinely, they're the ones that are going to be the be make the difference. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. yeah. So I'm um, I'm interested because we always like to talk about real world and. Sort of, sort of tips for people who are maybe in smaller businesses or new to this. What are the things that you've done in in your career to help that sort of communication to all levels within the business?
2: Yeah, so I think to frontline workers and the the easiest one to talk about is when you've had an incident and you've got to investigate. The first thing that I'd say to any practitioner to count to ten, take a deep breath, and just wait a moment because as soon as you hear there's an incident your initial reaction is to go get involved get there see what's happening just take that moment and really understand what the outcome needs to be on any one of them so if it's a slip triple four if it's a minor injury or it's something major take that moment because you're about to enter something that you may not get many more moments like that where you can take that breath so understand the output first, the outcome, and then start to have those conversations. Always start with a conversation. Don't start with the document. Don't start with the template. Don't send that out first. Always make sure it's the phone call. It's the it's the turn up on the site. It's that, okay, how is everyone first? How is everyone feeling? Work with what you've got, those people there. Understand that evidence. You can start to do the data gather, the, all of the technical things that we talk about but that is the first thing that, that needs to happen. Every incident you have to take as an opportunity to build a relationship because at that moment, those people are out there. They have got the lowest level of trust in safety than they will ever have because they've just experienced the worst thing. So if you can get that done with the minor ones, I hope fingers crossed, you never get to the major one, but if you do, you you're raising that level of trust with those people they'll be more open they'll be more hopefully the guarding that we have is is less so that's where i think it becomes really key and that's that sort of practical example of close off the compliance bit for a moment that can come at the end work on that and then i think it's it's utilizing these things of um read something about um restorative justice if these people have lost their faith in the process because they've witnessed now this incident, what in your investigation, how can you build their trust and their faith back in the process? Because the process, no matter what, was designed to give you this output. Now, the person's variant, the person might have included some variants in that process that made it more unsafe or less unsafe, but the process is, you know, something within that operation of that process for that moment was perfectly designed to have this output. So that's your focus. That's going to be the goal. Think of people as variants in them. They could have done well. They could have done not well. They're not the blame. The process is that thing at that moment. So those are the the, the two sort of real world. And I don't want to try... I, I'm really conscious not to give a technical thing because a technical thing can get put into a document and that then becomes the new tick box that I, I just hate to see. But if you can do that, take that moment right at the start, understand your outcome and utilize that moment to build trust within everyone. Because like I say, it will be at its lowest level. And if you can start to just work that through, and get them back onto that side of safety's here to be with you, to be side by side with you, understand you have just experienced something terrible. Even if it's something minor, it's still terrible because people will go through the blame cycle. They'll go through their own head. They'll feel stupid. They'll feel all these different things. So that for me is the biggest thing that you can remove. And all of a sudden those interviews, those witness statements just become that little bit easier to get and a bit more coherent ah, people are starting to tell me something that doesn't make a, a, that much of a difference. Um, and then probably the final thing is when you are ready to come to your conclusion, come to your corrective action, make sure you are looking at people last. Make sure that you have done everything to ensure that that process is perfect. You know, no process. We, we say no process is, but it needs to be designed to deliver an outcome that isn't the injury make sure that is there make sure the system so the process around sorry the, the system around the process is there people are trained they understand they know when to stop they know how to do it make sure all that's there and then look at the variance of the per- the person within it and say well how did they increase or reduce the risk in here and i think those three things if you if you take that sort of mentality into any investigation you'll start to find you'll get less outcomes of retraining or briefings because actually people knew what they were doing. They knew how to operate. You don't become untrained because you've had an incident. So I think for me, that's a, three key things i would take in, in like an investigation point of view.
1: I think the trust piece is, is I think that just runs through the whole thing for me, Phil, is, is, is actually I was talking about coaching earlier. The first, the first element of coaching is actually establishing trust with people because most people have got a bit of a cynical streak and particularly if they've been in the business for a while and you say, all of a sudden, now we're going to start doing coaching sessions. Oh, it's just the next business initiative, isn't it? It's the next thing that we're going to do. So it's actually the first thing you've got to do is establish some trust that actually you're there for the right reasons. And actually you you're committed to it as well it's not just a we're going to do this for the next six weeks because it's the latest business objective or the latest business initiative um so trust is a really critical part to to again to all all business processes um yeah um I'm conscious of time because we've we, we did we we had a bit of a to just to let people into some trade secrets here we did have a bit of a pre conversation um to plan for this, and 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 we did find that the three of us sort of spoke pretty easily together. So I, I think that's been a really interesting conversation. I'm pretty sure we're going to ask you to come back again at some point, Phil, so we can carry it on. Um, I'd love to. <laughs> any final any final thoughts from you, Phil. Any final sort of hot tips for people? I've got one question for you because I've always got one question. Yeah. You talked about metrics and said don't get too hung up on the metrics what are are there any sort of indicators that you do like to use you do sort of put your hat on
2: yeah i I, I like to see how often an action is um the deadline for an action is pushed back that for me is a real critical one of not just deadline the target date but actually if we said it was a two-week thing normally that's because people think it's either easy to do or it's really important so has it been pushed back two or three times because now i'm starting to question is that action worthwhile or is it something that people really don't believe in and either way i need to review that action so i think if one metric i'd love to see people start looking at is, is is actually that not not how many incidents and things like that, how many actions have you pushed back? Um, I think that, that might trigger some really interesting conversations for people.
1: Phil, I think I've got a new first love here because that's the thing I would absolutely, I love talking about actions. I think they're, I, I say it all the time, action. Ev- everything in safety is about outcomes. So actually, if, if you're not dealing with your actions effectively or the actions aren't right, that's going to be a really key indicator in terms of your success or not. So. So I think that's one of the best tips I've heard in a long time. Great tip. Okay. Langdon, thoughts, any final thoughts from yourself?
0: No, thank you, Phil. It's been a great conversation. You know, it's one of those we talked about. I feel like a lot, a lot of lines to what we are trying to kind of promote what we talk about and, you know, right with the understanding every organization is different. So how can we help everyone to get to where they ultimately want to be and understanding where they even are so no thanks for joining us Phil
2: thank you very
1: much Phil it's been great speaking to you I'm sure we'll speak again soon um, and and we, we look forward to getting you back on the pod soon Landon I always do this I'm going to hand back
0: to you to sign off in your inimitable Nashville way well for everyone out there we appreciate your time and joining in once again to our lovely two ball guys talking safety with dear Phil Roberts we hope as you travel about, go about your daily activities, that you stay safe and watch each other's back out there. See you, everyone. Hey, everyone. Really appreciate you tuning in to this episode of Two Bald Guys Talking Safety. Please follow and subscribe to wherever you stream your favorite podcast, or visit us at evochicks.com. And if you want to see how
1: follically challenged we really are, come and check us out on YouTube. If you've got value from the podcast, please go to Apple Podcasts. And in the review section of this podcast,
0: if you could leave us a review or a rating, that would be great. And as always, everyone, while you're going about your days, about your normal lives, stay safe out there. and Watch each other's back.